The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I got people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to explain what's going on. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We've got these unexpected tailwinds appearing in the market, and they're keeping the bullish backdrop alive in the face of mounting skepticism. The tailwinds are frankly extraordinary and very much against the grain. One reason for today's bullish action, Dow advanced 202 points, S&P gained 0.88%, and the Nasdaq jumped 1.35%. Let's go over the unusually positive developments that are playing havoc with the bears right now. Even as long-term interest rates keep creeping up higher and Wall Street's waking up to the fact, the reality, I guess, that we won't get six rate cuts from the Fed this year. First, this morning, we got a fabulously contrarian analyst recommendation to buy the stock of one of the most hated in the market, Apple. Now, one of my biggest grievances with Wall Street is that analysts love to move as a herd. When a company does well, we see a host of upgrades and price target bumps. When a company does poorly, it's the same group rushes to downgrade. What's the value proposition from the fourth analyst to downgrade Morgan Stanley if that distinctly suboptimal forecast? Simply, what's the value out from one more firm raising its price target on NVIDIA? We get these constantly as the stock keeps blowing through the price targets. Just a bunch of analysts jumping on the bandwagon long after the stock blasted off from the mid-400 level where it's been stuck for so long. Which brings me to Apple. We've seen analyst after analyst downgrade this one on near-term concerns about iPhone sales, especially in China, where the economy has slowed dramatically. Apple's discounting to sell phones there, and the government's not exactly pro-business either. Then out of nowhere, in this desert of negativity, this morning, we found an oasis in a highly unlikely place, Bank of America's Equity Research Department, which upgraded the stock of Apple from hold to buy. I cannot emphasize how important this upgrade was. The analyst who authored it, Wamsi Mohan, is someone who's been a true student of Apple. He's often the person with the most cerebral, thoughtful questions on the uh, quarterly conference call. More important, he hasn't been crazy about the stock in a while. It's kind of out of character upgrade. That's the best kind. No wonder the stock rallied $5.95 or 3.2%. By the way, that was the best gain since May. So what's driving the upgrade? He's got eight points. I think all worth going over. First, he sees a stronger multi-year, not month, not day, but year iPhone upgrade cycle driven by the latest hardware to enable generative AI. How refreshing is it that Wompsy's not focused on just the next three weeks? He's focused on the next three years. Second, he sees higher growth in services, the service revenue, something I've been screaming from the rooftops for ages because there are fees that must be paid if you want to save your pictures and get Apple Plus or any other extremely worthwhile subscriptions. Third, he sees a silicon roadmap for Apple to morph from PC to services of autonomous driving, which translates into higher margins. Fourth, strong capital returns, including bountiful dividends and buybacks. Fifth, gross margins stable to higher over time. People don't think that one. That's controversial. Sixth, he says Apple's surprisingly underweighted by portfolio managers versus the S&P 500. And the anticipation of AI features could entice institutional investors to increase positions. Seventh, legal issues, manageable. And eighth, the stock's relative underperformance suggests the risks everybody frets about. Well, they're already baked into the stock. 
Now, I noticed some of you this seems like kind of a usual litany, but in each case, it's actually a breath of fresh air. I salute Wamsi for this total go against the grain upgrade that could send the stock up nearly six bucks today. This was truly amazing. Second unexpected tailwind for the stock market. We got a nascent theme going here. No one's talking about it. It's called the return of Japan. Yes, the return of Japan is a force in M&A, which makes me feel like we're back in the 80s, late 80s. Yep, there's been a remarkable run in the Japanese stock market of late, almost the polar opposite, by the way, of the Chinese stock market. After spending years lost in the wilderness, the Nikkei is just a spinning distance from where it peaked in 1989. 35,466 now versus a high of 38,957 then. Now, most might not remember this, but Japan was so big back in 1990 that it, its stock market accounted for 60% of the entire world's stock market capitalization. Back then, you had a series of very high-profile mergers. Bridgestone, the Japanese tire company, it bought Firestone, an iconic company in this country. Bank of Tokyo acquired Union Bank of California. Sony buying Columbia Pictures. Mitsubishi Estate buying the Rockefeller Group, owner of Rockefeller Center. Mitsubishi scooping up a high-profile chemical company at that time, at least, called Aristec Chemical. And Matsushita Electrical, the company buying the Panasonic brand, acquired MCA, owner of Universal Pictures. It got to the point where some leaders in Congress were actually calling for a takeover ban because they thought Japan was becoming too powerful in this country. Then the bubble burst. Japanese economy spent the next 30-odd years in purgatory. But now Japan's back, really back. Just no one's talking about it. This morning, Sikasui House bought MDC Holdings for $4.9 billion to become the fifth largest home builder in the world, paying a 19% premium to where the stock went out yesterday. This one shocked me. We haven't seen much home builder consolidation in years. This could be usually important for the industry. Looking back a month ago, Nippon Steel swooped in to buy U.S. Steel for $55 a share. That was a 40% premium to where the stock was three days before the announcement. Jeez, these guys overpay. Well, they pay. I shouldn't say overpay, but I did. I think the people still aren't seeing this trend. I don't know anyone talking about it. It's in its infancy. But as the Nikkei climbs, I expect to see many, many more deals. It's a great reason to stay in the stocks, particularly of mid-cap stocks, as I think that's the sweet spot of, of interest for them. Third, unexpected tailwind. I know that for some, Disney stock seems like a hopeless and hapless situation. Uh, sneezy, grumpy, whatever. Uh, don't I know it? We own this one for the Chapel Trust, and I am very tired of defending its terrible performance. But so is change agent Nelson Peltz, the billionaire activist investor from Tryon, who wants to be on Disney's board and is launching a proxy fight to get in that boardroom. Peltz is running with a guy named Jay Rasulo. He's a former Disney CFO. While his firm would have a little chance to get on the board alone, Peltz is also steward of the 30 million shares owned by Ike Perlmutter, who sold Mar- Marvel to Disney for $4 billion 15 years ago. Why does this matter? Because a proxy fight will concentrate the minds of Disney's directors. Either they create more value or try to at least help. Or some of them get the boot. I mean, these guys do act as if they are in the playoffs going deep when they ain't even in the second division. Finally, one of the best calls we've ever made for the Chapel Trust was taking a sizable position in Meta. When founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced the year of efficiency, that was a clarion call to get on board because the company had way too many employees. It worked. Now we're seeing a similar, albeit less strident, set of firings from all reaches at Alphabet. The stock's inexpensive. The company could be much more profitable now that they're finally right-sizing things or, or saying that AI is helping them right-size things. I really don't care. If you apply Zuckerberg's chainsaw playbook to Alphabet, the stock could have a very big run from here. Alphabet's year of efficiency. I bring these items to your attention because I want you to get away from the big obsession 
that we have here with the uh, Federal Reserve that's captivated so many money measures in, in a way that's just plain stupid. The idea that you should, I like to use words like stupid because you understand it. The idea that you should only care about how many rate cuts we get this year is an absurd way to run your own money. I'd rather look for these unexpected tailwinds that affect individual companies. It's much more helpful than playing the pedestrian parlor game of guessing the Fed's next cut or rate increase. Don't be a hedge fund manager, people. Making moves every day to justify our existence. Unlike them, you don't have investors to keep happy other than yourself. Don't let ads scare you out of single stock risk, frighten you. I hate this stuff. Do we really need to own Intel and Wolf Speed to protect ourselves from NVIDIA? I don't think so. Bottom line, invest, don't trade. That's the real edge you have as an individual investor. Don't squander it. Consider yourself lucky that you don't have investors looking over your shoulder and constantly second-guessing you. With the right amount of patient homework, I'm telling you, you will do just fine. Why don't we start with Al in Nevada? Al. Hello, Mr. Kramer. I'm a first-time caller and a founding member in the investment club. Yes. Good to have you on board, man. We got a lot of stuff cooking. Uh, my question is about Pfizer. I have a cost basis of $35, and it's close to being a full position in my portfolio. Considering the almost 6% dividend, along with a multi-year time horizon, do you think I should buy more? I want you to buy more. I think the CGN acquisition is real. I got to get back with Dr. Borla. I'm telling you, the guy's a real guy. Now, I'm not kidding. He's a real guy. He has a real sensibility. I say that because he's a vet. And we're like real animal people. But in reality, he bought CJ, and I know he paid a lot of money, but they got a lot of new cancer stuff, and I think it's good to go. Let's go to Ann. Now you know my whole dating calendar, too. I, get every, I throw everything at everybody. What the heck? No one, by the way, no one ever goes out with anybody on TV. You ever hear that? No one ever says, I want my wife out with these. But they don't do that. That's not allowed. I'm sorry. I take it all back. Let's go to Ann in Indiana. Ann. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a club member, but I'm calling about Walgreens because I love the turnaround stories, even though they take patience. So I get a bunch of anecdotal evidence from a friend, you know, who had a long career at Walgreens. Yeah. But then I look at how CVS has struggled, you know, since merging or acquiring Cigna in 18. So is it a value trap or value stock? We struggle over this. Both Jeff Marks and I are talking about perhaps adding to the bullpen upcoming investment club meeting. Our problem is this, and this is really interesting and important. We screwed up on Foot Locker. We felt that the initial redo and the, the change in pace would, would stabilize the stock, and then it just got hammered again. Will Walgreens get hammered again? I don't know. Tim Wentworth is a real deal. But at 22, I'm so tempted to pull the trigger. I just don't know what to do myself. I just don't know. Why don't we go to Blair? I just hate to just punt, but you know what? That's better than a lot of guys I saw in the Eagles. Let's go to Blair in Pennsylvania, please. Blair. Big booyah to you, Jimbo, from Northeast Philly. Been there my whole life. Really? I got most of my Moss siders over there. Well, you like Wrong GW in Northeast? In Which house, schools? Uh, Oxford Circle there. Lincoln High School. Lincoln. Oh, so uh, oh, a little up. All right. Doing better than us. That's okay. I don't mind that. What's going on? <laughs> Tell me about Palo Alto Networks. Bought it at the all-time high. What do you need to know about Palo? First of all, we got a billionaire CEO, Nikesh Arora, who's running circles around everybody other than CrowdStrike. And that company, look, can the stock go down? Yes. But is that company in this? Remember, they have like, what is it, like 47 billion different hacks every day at JP Morgan? Remember, they only have to get through one. JP Morgan's got to stop everyone. That's why you need a company like Palo Alto Networks. All right. Individual investors have a real edge in this market. You should consider yourself lucky you aren't being second guessed by some rich billionaire right behind you. The billionaire class, let them be on their own. 
and, and complain about everything. With the right amount of homework, the stock pickers out there will do just fine. Man, money tonight. Could Fido help make you a fortune? No, I'm not talking about fidelity. I'm talking about actual animals. I'm seeing if Alonco Animal Health could be a strong contender in the phenomenal pet care space with the company CEO. Then close viewers know I had a bullish thesis on the pipeline space in November. And with Kinder Morgan, one of the largest energy infrastructure companies in North America, reporting earnings last night, I'm running through the report to see if the stock fits into my thesis. And investors have been keeping an eye on the developments of the Red Sea with a number of commercial shipping vehicles, vessels uh, under attack by the Houthis. How do you interpret these headlines so it can help your portfolio? I'm going to run through all of it and let you know. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Last week, I went out to the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco and checked in with 13 companies. But there are other presenters I didn't get a chance to speak with. Take Alonco Animal Health, which makes medicine and vaccines for both pets and livestock. Alonco has a bunch of exciting products in its pipeline that should be approved in the first half of the year. One reason the stock's already rebounded, get this, is nearly 90% from its all-time low set last year. Full disclosure, Alonco was spun off by Eli Lilly roughly five years ago. It took a very long time for the stock to find its footing. But after the incredible run over the past few months, can it keep going? Let's check a closer look with Jeff Simmons. He's the president and CEO of Alonco Animal Health. For more, Mr. Simmons, welcome back to Man Money. Hey, great to be here, Jim. Thanks for the opportunity. Okay, like if we were speaking about a drug stock, we have to speak about unmet needs and we have to speak about potential blockbusters. And I want you to talk about a pipeline as if it were a, a company dedicated to human health. Yeah, so this is our 70th year, but I would say the most exciting pipeline. We're bringing six blockbusters over the next two years. And to in describe what a blockbuster means to people. Yeah, a blockbuster in, in animal health can be over 100 million. Perfect. Okay? okay. And major markets just came from the North America Vet Show talking about unmet needs. 
Today, 800 to 900 puppies a day get diagnosed with parvovirus. If left Parvo. Parvovirus, Parvo right. Virus. If left untreated, more than 90% into mortality, Jim. We now have our first monoclonal antibody approved last year. We're launching it across America. Just signed a pledge with the American veterinarians across this country to save a million puppies by the end of the decade. So there's an example of, you know, left untreated, you've got 900 puppies a day that are, that are ending in mortality. We now have an intervention. And that's what's driving the expectancy of care to continue to grow. I think people should realize, I mean, some of the diseases that afflict humans, my, uh, my daughter is a, works at, at, with a shelter and been losing cats to diabetes. Yeah. So last year, Elenco brought the first SGLT2 to the U.S. market as a, uh, as a remedy for, for diabetes. If you have a cat before this technology, you were having to inject that with insulin right. um, twice a day. We have, we've introduced a tablet with Bexacat, a vanilla tablet that can be used once a day. So more convenience also drives, you know, not only more expectancy of care, but more willingness to pay. That's what's caused this industry to grow 20 consecutive years. Now, you also, of course, obviously you have animal health. I've been talking about companion, but you've got a very big business for that helps us feed the world. Yeah. Um, so Elanco, if you back up, I mean, we, we grew up in the farm animal business. That's, you know, in 70 years, we spent a lot of time. Um, we also, though, if, you know, with the acquisition of Bayer after we became an IPO, we moved from 30 percent farm animal to over 50 percent pets. So we're balanced between pet. We also have increased size and scale with Bayer. Bayer brought us a much bigger international pet business. It made us, a, you know, having more scale allowed us to have a much more competitive innovation engine that's brought these six blockbusters as but well. Jeff, you've also mentioned you've got a lot of debt. I'm always concerned about companies that have a lot of debt. You even were asked about it on the conference call, and you said yourself, we've got to get that debt down. Yeah, it is a priority for us. Um, I think a couple things you need to look at for, you know, for Elanco is one, most of that debt we've locked into fixed rates or taken some of the volatility out. The other is, Jim, a lot of stand-up costs the last three to four years with Elanco. We not only stood ourselves up out of Eli Lilly, but we had to integrate with Bayer. They're behind us. It's less than 20 million this year. So we'll convert a lot more EBITDA into cash to convert that and pay debt down. And these major blockbusters are higher margins in big markets, faster growth rates, much higher mix. That's gonna create a lot more EBITDA. And we've changed the pay for all employees. More of an EVA-like structure to where every employee in Elanco is compensated by driving EBITDA and using right. cash very carefully. So it is a top priority. It's a durable industry. You know this, Jim. Yes, I do. So uh, debt, debt is a priority, but it's not something that needs to be of a concern. Okay, well, speaking of cash, these are cash pay situations often, correct? Right. Yes. So the, the market yourself. Yeah. yeah. People have to see, but they want value. Uh, it, unlike for humans, it's like, well, will I get value for my pet if I pay? Yeah, and I think that's what's made this industry attractive. Yes. It rewards innovation, like your daughter, mm-hmm. and your reference of this. I also think this, we have multiple species. We're in more than 20 species of animals in Elanco. We're in more than 100 countries and many therapeutic classes. That diversity creates a lot of durability against all this volatility that you're mentioning, which makes this industry you know, resilient and durable. We've just guided to you know, constant currency revenue growth going forward, um, you know, in 2024. And a lot of that's because of even in a volatile environment, 
you know, what we've got with Bayer plus Elanco is a diverse company that can handle the volatility okay. in the marketplace. Let's talk about COVID and post-COVID. Uh, there was a huge humanization of pets move, got to COVID, and then it really exploded because people wanted pets at home because they were lonely. I'm getting the sense that there was a peak in humanization of pets. Is that true or is it just because not many people, as many people were as adopting as they were? You know, I, we look at this and how we look at this, Jim, is we look at it globally. Okay. But I would say the humanization of pets is still happening. You know, in, in America, we've got about 70 percent of homes with a pet. You know, in a lot of international countries, it's 20, 30 percent. So one, the humanization of pets is still growing globally. Okay. Second is this next generation's expectancy of care and willingness to spend is high. If you bring innovation and you bring convenience right. to them, then that actually is driving resilience to pay. And the last thing is what Elanco's leading in right now is what we call the omni-channel approach. And that is saying, hey, in and outside the vet, from online to the pet store to in the vet clinic, Elanco is the global leader in pet retail. We can do, you know, brands like Advantage and Soresto outside right. the vet. A third of pet owners in America don't go to the vet. Yeah, well, this is just criminal, so, so, I think, because yeah. they can't tell you they're sick, for heaven's sake. Show some compassion. But, but having remedies for them is still essential. And right. then we're bringing all of this in innovation inside of the vet. So Elanco, the global omni-channel leader, and that also is another way to, I think, keep the resiliency in this market and continues to grow. Okay, do you have anything for feline immunodeficiency virus, they had a vaccine in this country, took it off the market in 2017, would be a very big market. Any chance? Yeah, I, I can't speak specifically to that. What I would say is there's a lot of research going on in autoimmune, a yes. lot in the bio space. Um, there's a continued if You guys are doing it or everybody's doing it? You know, it's, it's a target for a few of us right. as companies. What I will say, Jim, is right now in Elanco, back to the priority, right. Six major blockbusters. We got a a, a first, you know, a, a first entry into the auto, you know, immune kind of market. Excuse me, the derm market. Um, that's that's going to be critical. Which which we know, you know, Zoetis has great work. It's done great stuff in derm. They have. It's a 1.2 billion dollar market, right. growing double digit. It only has a couple options. It's the number one reason pet owners take a dog to the sure. vet is an itching dog. And we are bringing an alternative. We are bringing a differentiated asset in there with a JAK1 inhibitor. Next year, we'll have a monoclonal antibody. So Great. this is a market that's looking for alternatives. And lastly, we've got Credelio Quattro. So the largest market, as you know, is the parasite market, right. the parasiticide. We're bringing Credelio Quattro, which is really the broadest spectrum market. So it's flea tick and a broad spectrum of hardware. Right. So we'll get that dead paid down, keep the, uh, the earnings growth, and spread the word around the world. And I know we didn't even get, next time we'll get to what you're doing with the environment yeah. and carbon credit and cows, because that's very important too. That's Jeff Simmons. He's president and CEO of Alonco Animal Health. I think the stock's ready to take off, and the 90% gain is really off a very low level. That money's back at the break. Coming up, a kinder, gentler energy outlook. Kramer gasses up his take on a pipeline player that could power you to prosperity. Next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Near the end of November, I recommended a whole series of stocks based on the premise that long-term interest rates had peaked. These groups had done very poorly for most of last year, but I figured they could become huge winners in a world where the bond market's behaving itself. In particular, I told you to buy the pipeline stocks like Enbridge or One Oak, which are up about 5 and 6% respectively since then. By the way, the latter just announced a big buyback last night. It's been a gigantic winner for us over the years. But when you come up with a big thesis, you've got to test that thesis. While there's no shame in being wrong about an idea, there's a lot of shame in digging in your heels when the evidence is against you. That's why I'm always telling you to practice buy and homework, not buy and hold. I bring this up because last time we got what I consider to be an underwhelming quarter from Kinder Morgan, one of the largest energy infrastructure plays in North America. Although this wasn't one of the five pipeline plays I recommended back in November, it's a major player in the pipeline space. So when I see Kinder Morgan delivering disappointing numbers, and they were, at least the headlines, stock losing 1.4% today. Well, it means closer scrutiny. Let's go over what happened here. The company delivered a nasty revenue shortfall down 12% year over year. The top line isn't as important for pipeline operators, but obviously it's not great. At the same time, Kinder Morgan posted a $0.02 earnings miss off a $0.30 basis. Their earnings per share were down 10% year over year, while their distributable cash flow, distributable cash flow that was down 14%, softer than expected. Actually bad. So why did Kinder Morgan's headline numbers fall short? First, management said that the year-over-year declines in earnings and cash flow are, quote, largely related to increased interest expense, which was anticipated in the company's 2023 budget guidance, end quote. The company went on to say that, quote, it finished the year slightly behind its budget, primarily due to lower commodity prices, end quote. All right, that commentary actually makes you feel a tad better about the soft results. Kinder Morgan got hit with higher interest rate interest expenses when rates were rising rapidly, as they did last year. But now long rates have already peaked, and they've pulled back substantially from the highs. At the same time, they missed their internal targets, largely because of lower commodity prices. But oil and gas are already headed higher again. If you believe Carly Garner, that's a resident commodities expert, saying the crew could go up to as much as 100 bucks. well, you know what? I like this story. I could go on. Kinder Morgan said that its natural gas pipeline segment in it, it, by the way, that's its largest business unit, not oil, saw its financial performance down slightly across most of the network in the fourth quarter of 2023 relative to the fourth quarter of 2022, primarily as a result of milder winter weather in 2023. Milder winter weather? After the weekend I just had in Kansas City with sub-zero temperatures and a wind chill that made it feel like minus 20 degrees, not to mention the 20-degree temperature we currently have in New York. Let's just say I'm not worried about a milder winter weather anymore. Now, Kinder Morgan had already given us a forecast for 2024 back in early December. And the numbers the company gave them were all in line with Wall Street's expectations at the time. 
But that initial guidance didn't include the impact of Kinder Morgan's $1.8 billion acquisition of next-era energy partners' assets in South Texas, meaning a nat gas pipeline system connecting the Eagle for Shale to Mexico and the Gulf Coast. After that deal closed in the final weeks of 2023, Kinder Morgan issued a new outlook for the year last night. And you know what? Those numbers were good. Higher EBITDA, higher distributable cash flow per share, slightly higher earnings, too. I think it's important to note that these numbers were raised, even if Kinder Morgan stock didn't get any credit for it today. That might be because the commodity price assumptions used for their forecasts are above spot prices. Talking about $82 oil, $3.50 natural gas, I mean, that's very high. And some investors really don't believe they're going to get there. That said, Kinder Morgan made it clear that they'll still see nice year-over-year growth, even if oil and gas flatline at the current levels for the rest of the year. I like that, too. Now, Wall Street's lukewarm reaction to solid guidance might also be due to the fact that Kinder Morgan promised to give us more detail on their full year forecast. And Investor Day management has planned for next Wednesday. One of the reasons I would do this piece is I think they'll get to tell a good story. I bet many people are waiting for that event before they pull the trigger. And you know what? I don't blame them. But beyond the numbers, I was mainly looking for color on the pipeline industry and perhaps more importantly, confidence from management about their business going forward. And I'd argue we got that. For example, Kinder Morgan has a standing discretionary capital expenditures budget of $1 to $2 billion every year. And management said they expect that to come in at the high end of the range for the next few years. Why? Because as CEO Kimberly Allen Dang explained, she sees a ton of great opportunities ahead, especially in natural gas infrastructure. I really like that. Management wanted to provide bullish outlooks for all sorts of specific end markets, including particular regions like Haynesville Shale in East Texas, Louisiana, the Eagleford Shale in South Texas, where they just did that deal, and even the Bakken Shale in North Dakota. They got a lot of natural gas there, too. It's got to, got to separate the two. It's grown very difficult to be able to get that up to a higher level. Now, they're also optimistic on the growth of liquefied natural gas exports and new supply contracts for renewable natural gas facilities. Really, the entire natural gas space looks like a huge opportunity for Kinder Morgan, uh, with the CEO saying, quote, we're projecting nice growth for 2024 in the natural gas business, which is greater than 60 percent of KMI's EBITDA is underpinned by 20 percent growth in that market, leading to nice expansion opportunities, end quote. Wow. Sounds pretty good to me. How about you? And hey, Kinder Morgan's paying you to wait. They got that bountiful 6.5 percent yield. That's, again, why I like this one. Let me give you the bottom line here. Kinder Morgan stock did take it on the chin today, sliding around a little more than 1 percent if you're reporting the suboptimal headline numbers. But when you take a closer look at what happened here, don't forget that analyst meeting coming up. I honestly didn't hear anything that makes me feel less bullish in the pipeline place. If anything, Kinder Morgan's commentary made me feel more sanguine on the group, even if the particular pipeline play isn't my favorite. Oh, by the way, in case you're wondering, the whole pipeline cohort would be a huge beneficiary from a Trump presidential win. These companies need federal agency relief, and they can you bet they're going to get it from the most pro-pipeline president we've ever had. How about Kenny in Florida? Kenny! Hey, Jim. Uh, I've been listening to you for several years, and I've accumulated about 700 shares of Pioneer stock. And I was wondering if it was worth holding on to till Exxon took over or... Well, you, you know, look, candidly, we did sell it um, about 30 points higher. Uh, when the deal was announced, we thought that was the best chance to get out. It's come back all the way down to 216. I would not sell it. I would just hold on. It's down too low to sell. I repeat, it, it, Pioneer Nat is down too low to sell. Let's go to Sam in Pennsylvania. Sam. Jim, how you doing? Better, I don't know. I'm trying to get over the loss on Monday night. And believe me, it hasn't been easy. Frankly, it hasn't been easy. Yeah. I, got too inv- I got too invested in the damn thing. A darn thing. I just got too invested. You know, What's Jim, happening? You know, Jim, I think we might need a new coach. What do you think? My, my mom always said, if you have nothing good, to, don't have anything good to say, don't say it. So there we are. That's right. All right. Well, speaking of, 
speaking of good things to say, perhaps we might have some good things to say about one of my favorite companies, that is Enphase Energy. And I think the stock might be particularly set up in a good place for benefit, you know, the benefit from the recent hit on the back of the Federal Reserve. I, I, uh, I, I, but the rates have to keep coming down. That's the problem, sir. I mean, right now this thing is set up. It's not good enough that the rates are where they are. They actually have to go down because this is a financing play, and they're not low enough yet to intrigue me at 24 times earnings. I need to go to Stuart in New York. Stuart. Hey, Mr. Jim. How you doing? Even though your eagles flew the coop, you still, Um, (laughs) I guess, uh, supporting them. Yeah, I I did. Although I have to tell you, candidly, I did wear a Kansas City Chiefs hat today, and everyone was saying, are you kidding me? And I say, I'm an Andy (laughs) Reid fan. I think it's all about personalities. What can I do for you? Well, I wanted to bring to your attention one of the greatest shortages that's existing now, and it's called uranium. And it sure is. And, you know, you've got uh, a really good got a point. Problem that no. But I'll give you the one problem, okay? Because you know, I've been supporting UEC. That's been the way I want to play it. It's a legitimate company, even though it's a, you know a lot of the Vancouver companies I've had trouble with over time. The problem is we got to see some small modular reactors built soon, and we just don't see them. And that is my worry. That said, I agree with you. Uranium could be a great long-term thesis. Kendra Morgan might have gotten hit today, but when you take a closer look under the hood, there's really nothing that you said that made me less bullish about the pipeline plays. If anything, I'm actually more sanguine of the group as a whole, even if Kendra Morgan isn't my favorite play within the sector. I like one oak. Now, much more mad money had ships in the Red Sea are under attack amid a conflict with the Hooties, and I'm going to give you the details you need to know to help you understand the potential impact on your portfolio. Then the inventory glut on smartphones and PC semiconductors is seemingly over. So how do I think you should play the group now that it's stabilized? I'll reveal some names I've got my eye on. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We don't talk much about the wars in the Middle East. This is bad money, not mad geopolitics. Last week, a coalition of nations led by the United States started a bombing campaign against the Houthi rebels in Yemen, a militia group backed by Iran that's been fighting the Saudi-backed government for years. But our government never got involved until the Houthis started attacking commercial shipping in the Red Sea. There have now been 34 attacks, including one that occurred earlier today. Anything that can shut down shipping in the Red Sea will have an impact on your portfolio. See, the Houthis are going after a key commercial shipping route that connects the Indian Ocean to the Suez Canal in Egypt, which then leads to the Mediterranean. Because these attacks have been so indiscriminate, some of the largest shipping companies in the world have halted Red Sea shipments entirely, which means they need to detour around the Cape of Good Hope at the southern tip of Africa. According to industry estimates, Suez Canal crossings could drop by 40 to 50 percent thanks to these rebels turned pirates. Why does that matter? Because rerouting ships across Africa takes eight around Africa when you go down all the way. It takes a lot more money than it does to go through the Suez Canal. That's why they had to build the canal to begin with. It's way more expensive. So we've seen a surge in shipping prices for many global trading routes. The price to ship a 40-foot container from Shanghai to New York, for example, is 121%, up 121% since late October. Most routes to Europe have seen even larger spikes. Shanghai to Rotterdam is up 393% of the same period. While the Red Sea doesn't have as much impact on our West Coast ports, it's still going to hurt because day rates for all these vessels are going up, and we might even end up with a container shortage. So what should you do about all of this? 
Now, you might think it's a good idea to buy the shipping stocks. One of the great ironies, though, of the situation is that the Houthis' attacks in the Red Sea could put an end to the global shipping recession we've been stuck in for most of the year. That's up past year. That's not bad. But as I always tell you, the shipping plays are really only good for the occasional trade. They're too volatile to be good investments. I don't recommend them because of that because they are boom and bust. And even if you wanted to buy them now, the attacks have been happening for weeks, so you're already late to the party. Zim, Z-I-M, integrated shipping, for example, it's jumped 115% from its lows less than two months ago. Could it keep running? Maybe. But in my view, this industry is a total crapshoot. I'd rather make a bet on DraftKings. What about the pin action from the Red Sea Terminal? With ocean freight rates rising and transit times getting longer, many retailers may be forced to use air freight instead. And that'd be great for FedEx. When FedEx reported a disappointing quarter last month, the big drag on their business was competition from much cheaper ocean freight. Now that dynamic's reversing itself, so the international express business could rebound. There's lots of other businesses they have, but I like that. And, you know, I like the stock of FedEx. How about the rails? How about this one? Earlier this week, analysts at Redburn Atlantic recommended Canadian Pacific Kansas City because this railroad has basically created a land bridge from the west coast of Mexico to the east coast of the United States. That's extra attractive at a time when the Panama Canal is suffering from a drought that's imposed severe traffic limits. I could also see Union Pacific winning here if more shipping gets diverted to the West Coast. They're the go-to railroad for our West Coast ports. But honestly, when I see how this Red Sea turmoil is pushing up shipping costs, my biggest fear is that it's a huge setback for the Fed in its fight against inflation. For weeks, I've been warning you that Wall Street got way too bullish, way too complacent with the federal funds futures reflecting six rate cuts this year. At the December Fed meeting, they only floated the the idea of three rate cuts. I'm with the Fed, three rate cuts. But with shipping rates soaring, even three might be on the high end of reasonable. That's rough for the stock market because so many investors need to adjust to a reality where the Fed's a lot less friendly than they expected. When I laid this out a couple of weeks ago, I told you that a flare-up in inflation could be a wake-up call for the market. Since then, we've had a too-hot December Consumer Price Index reading, hotter-than-expected retail sales yesterday, and the yield of the 10-year Treasury has gone from 3.91 to 4.14. So I argue the flare-up in inflation may already be happening. Now, think about what a drastic increase in shipping costs will add to the equation. Throw in what Carly Garner told us about oil prices last Thursday night. She thinks West Texas Intermediate crude is likely to be headed back to $100 a barrel, with oil already up nearly 3% a week since then. I, I, I'm not going to doubt her. In fact, these two issues are actually related. Given the Red Sea's proximity to so much of the Middle Eastern's energy production, well, these shipping issues could push up the price of oil all by themselves. Crude gets more expensive when you just can't safely use the Suez Canal. Just this week, the CEO of Shell told the Wall Street Journal that his company has already suspended all shipments through the Red Sea, leading to a 5 to 10% increase in the cost of delivery thanks to the extra travel time. BP made a similar decision last month. Uh, Gutter's state-run oil company also announced plans to stay out of the Red Sea this week. Every time you see one of these headlines, it represents a small setback in the Fed's fight against inflation. Hey, put them all together, and I, all I can say is, you're waiting to wait for rate cuts? Well, I say... Don't hold your breath. When you see a situation like the Houthi attacks on merchant vessels and the corresponding increase in shipping rates, try to think about what that means, both directly and indirectly. Right now, I don't think you should be chasing the shipping stocks. It's a bit late for that. I'd rather own some other transports, again, like FedEx or Canadian Pacific Kansas City. Both of them very good. They're not going beneficiaries from ocean shipping disruptions. But the bottom line, if the last few years have taught us anything, it's that supply disruptions are the bane of the Fed's fight against inflation. And if ships in the Red Sea aren't safe, that's a major disruption, meaning you simply can't expect as many rate cuts this year because the cost of freight suddenly gotten too expensive. And the cost of freight flows through the cost of pretty much everything. We have money is back after the break. 
Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time. It's over the way. Welcome to everybody. I'll tell you right for our tour. Some of these players are making money. So we're going and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Gary. Why don't we start with Gary in Florida? Gary. Hey, Jim. First of all, condolences on the Philadelphia Eagles. You could be a Jet fan for the last 50 years, so I don't feel sorry for you. Anyway, I'm a member of the Chiefs Kingdom. I don't know what you're talking about. The Chiefs Kingdom right here. How can I help? Chiefs. Uh, Bob, would you give me your opinion of Wob Tech? WAB okay, I think Wabtech has happened. This is an amazing company that does engine, you know, that has locomotive parts. It's the old Westinghouse air brake. And I got to tell you something. I feel it's occurred. I don't want to come in now with the stock selling at 27 times earnings. Let's go to Steve in Florida. Steve. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Steve Booyah. Calling to get your take on Marathon Digital Holdings. Well, you know, I, I've been looking at what Larry Williams, going back over what the great and legendary Larry Williams has been saying about Bitcoin. He says we're really kind of at the beginning of one of the most major collapses he's ever seen. So I don't think I want to go into uh, Mara, as we call it on the trading desk. Uh, I think I want to stay away from Bitcoin. Uh, by the way, those who are in Bitcoin, nothing bad to say. Let's go to Rebecca in New York. Rebecca! Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for being an excellent teacher. Um, Thank you. I have <laughs> You're welcome. I have Darius Gold, and I see it's not really doing well lately. You can have to sell it, I should hold on to it. I, I missed that one. I'm sorry, which the. Oh, bad okay, days. when rates go up, people sell gold, and that means you should buy gold because we buy gold for insurance. If your car insurance, if car insurance goes down in price, would you just say, "Ooh, I don't want to own that"? No, you buy more. I want you to buy some gold. Let's go to Elizabeth in Florida. Elizabeth. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Elizabeth. Wanted, cool. So I wanted to know what are your thoughts on Caterpillar, C A T. Okay, some joker the other day had a sell recommendation. He cut his like price target from 202 to 201 or something. It was lame-o. I think Caterpillar is going to have a terrific year. And don't be dissuaded about China or oil prices, whatever. Cat is about infra. And infrastructure is going to be big in 2024. The checks are in the mail. Robert in Florida. Robert. Hey, Jim. I just Robert. want to ask about GE's upcoming stock split. Do you know when they're going to... Um, nah, I don't care. I, what I care about is Larry Culp is just making money left and right, as I predicted about a gazillion points ago. Everyone doubted me except for Larry. No, Larry may have doubted me at one point, but I knew he was money in the bank. He is a lock, and you hardly ever get locks. He's the lock of 2024. Let's go to Natalie in Texas. Natalie. Hey, Jim. This is Natalie from Texas. I'll hey, keep it short and sweet. I recently invested in Genie Energy, G-N-E, based on 10-year performance. Now it looks like it's in a nosedive. What do you think? I think it's just okay to tell you the truth. I don't think it really, it's a it kind of a generic one in, in, in an industry where we got to have something better than generic. I'm sorry. I wish I could be more positive. I just can't. Let's go to Carolyn in New York. Carolyn. Hi, Jim. Carolyn hey. Story, Brooklyn, New York. First time caller. Uh, All right. Ago, but- you rec- 
few months ago you recommended U-Haul. Um, yeah. It's slowly going down. Should I sell it or should I hold it? Oh, no, I like it. I mean, look, it's, it's selling at eight times earnings. I think it's doing real well. I mean, it's, again, the stock had a major, major run from the bottom, down 8% for the year, so I can understand the trepidation, but I'm fine with it. Let's go to Charles in California. Charles. Hey, Jimmy. How you What's doing? happening? Uh, booyah, Jim Kramer. Booyah, chill. Booyah, chill. Liking what I'm hearing about today's market, Jans. What's up? Hey, um, yeah, I have been in and out of this stock over the past year. I've followed it for a few years, and um, I sold uh, sold it off uh, about six months ago, and I've been trading it. And now I'm wondering if, if it's a good time to get into it to hold uh, Micron Semiconductor. Mark in California, Mark. Now I'm taking one more. This is my show. Mark in California. I'm done with people telling me what to do. Mark in California. Oh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, can semiconductor stability plug you into profits? Don't miss the market trend that's right on your desktop. Next. Booyah, Jim. Your integrity makes you the Booyah Saint of Wall Street. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah, Jim. Quadruple. That's a lot of booyahs. If you don't own anything personal computer or cell phone related, I, I, I think you got to do some digging here. Why? Because this morning, Taiwan Semi, the gigantic chip manufacturer, called the bottom in exactly the kind of chips that go into all sorts of devices. Look, now, I've been adamant that we're on the cusp of a new electronic cycle, especially for personal computers, because we've finally gotten through the excess inventory from when everybody overbuilt to cater to the work-from-home craze. And then the economy went back to normal. That excess inventory has dragged down the semiconductor complex and, by the way, also Best Buy for ages. But the glut, I am telling you right now, is over. Now, understand, it's not like nobody saw this one coming. When look at the stocks of Micron, Broadcom, Qualcomm, or AMD, we tell you that's definitely not the case. You are not early. But you still need to understand that if Taiwan Semi sees it, then you can expect further moves from these stocks and others. In particular, I'd highlight KLA, Applied Materials, and Lamb Research. That's three semiconductor capital equipment makers that thrive when the chip makers need more capacity. In other words, Taiwan Semi's looking at its order book and says, boy, we got to get some more machines in here. Again, I want to emphasize that these stocks have already run gigantically. But if history's any guide, they're not done. Plus, the new personal computers com- coming out in the fall, they should be chock full of generative AI functionality that can allow you to talk to your PC and have it do mundane tasks for you, freeing you to do other more important things. That's called productivity, people, and everybody wants it. The semis are a leadership group here, and because they're lumped into so many ETFs, they tend to trade together much of the time. Now, we own NVIDIA and Broadcom for the Travel Trust, both big winners, but there are a host of excellent semis that could benefit with stocks that really haven't moved that much. You know, I'm taking a hard look at Skyworks Solutions, which has had its ups and downs because of its dependence on handset makers, especially Apple. I believe that HP Inc., thinking Hewlett-Packard, is too cheap selling at eight times earnings. You know, but I think that's in part because CEO Enrique Lori seems averse to making any positive predictions in public. I think HP is a natural beneficiary here, yet its stock has done nothing. 
Meanwhile, Dell shares have been straight up, but you know what? It still sells for just 11 times next year's earnings estimates. Michael Dell does a very good job. Or perhaps we don't need to overthink it. When you hear Taiwan Semi doing well, you should be thinking that NVIDIA and Apple, the big dogs who are voracious in wanting new chips, are the place to go. The relationship between Taiwan Semi and NVIDIA is as tight as you can get. The Apple story, as I said at the top, it just caught an upgrade based on longer-term demand for handsets, and I agree with that, even though I think that the shorter term is cloudy. We talk about these stocks every day at our morning meeting for the Investing Club at 10.20 a.m. I wish you were a member. I mean, this is where I talk directly about what these stocks are going to do. i got a little bit of time then. Ideally, I wouldn't buy these stocks tomorrow unless there are exceptions that didn't work today, and I will tell you about, tell you about it at the morning meeting. That's because we're not going to get more positive news from a Taiwan Semi tomorrow. Frankly, there's no other company in the industry that's ready to report that will give us more of a data point. But this PC refresh story should be one of the biggest themes of 2024. And you should try to surf a very big wave that will lift most semiconductor and all semiconductor capital equipment stocks, along with the handset makers and, yes, the PC makers themselves. It's a great place to be. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.